Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They want to walk out of the room with someone who has a 218. So when it goes to the floor, it's one vote and boom, right? I think that it's really coming down to between Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. And from what I'm seeing, it's looking like it's going to be Jim Jordan. Matt is one hell of a debater. He literally on the House floor took on the entire Congress. I think that he's a force to be reckoned with. You see a lot of these feminists saying, and the occupation of Palestine, they don't know really yeah. how good they have it here in the United States and really what they're even protesting for. All right, before we get to our conversation with Anna Paulina Luna, Congresswoman from Florida, I want to cover three things with you. I want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in Israel. I want to talk to you about this House Speaker race. And then I want to get into this RFK issue. Uh, so let's start with Israel. I think that what happened was unbelievably historic. The idea that an unprovoked attack occurred on civilians, rockets flying in on a holy day in Israel, people going into the city and grabbing women and children and taking them hostage. I mean, elderly women, children, and bringing them across the Gaza border. It was horrifying. And it all played out in cell phone imagery and television reports. These terrorists launched rockets into Israel Saturday morning, sending people throughout the country running for bomb shelters. And as I said, this was not, this was a holy day. They dropped bombs using drones on Israeli defenses on the border, rendering them inoperable. Um, more than a thousand terrorists then flooded into the country on boats and paragliders, motorcycles, trucks, and by foot as they hunted down. So far, we know that 11 Americans have been killed and several have been taken hostage. They held a press conference earlier today. This is not gonna end well or quickly. More people will die, I hate to say it. It's just Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel is like, we're going in and they should. But I wanna break down a few things. Number one, the intelligence failure. What the heck happened? How did these guys gather all of these weapons and plan this attack, go through tunnels and everything else, and no one in Israel picks up on this and no one in the US picks up on the coordination. This wasn't like one truck, one missile. There were thousands. And as I said, I mean, you had a thousand people flood these borders. I, I just don't get it. How does this happen and no one sees it? The best intelligence is supposed to be between Israel and then us as well in this area. How did it get missed? Why aren't we asking questions? I mean, and as I said at the beginning, I just want to be clear. None of this would happen if our foreign policy wasn't so feckless. If people thought America was strong and was going to punch back and that they were worried about it, they would have not happened. It would not have, Russia wouldn't have invaded Ukraine. Remember, when Trump was in office, nothing, nothing. They thought he was unpredictable, erratic. They didn't know what he would do, how he would react. They were on the edge of their seats all the time. Same with China. 
even North Korea. Now these guys feel like it's Katie, you know, go for it. What's going to happen to us? We sent $6 billion. Now, I want to be clear on this because this is actually really interesting. All of these folks, the, the left claims, and I want to pull this quote up specifically because I, there's two things that I want, to, I want to get to because a lot of people have asked me why the reaction from the Democrats has been so muted. Where's the response from AOC? Why did it take Barack Obama four days? Why? Well, here's this. This is from Gallup. After a decade in which Democrats have shown increasing affinity towards the Palestinians, their sympathies in the Middle East now lie more with the Palestinians than the Israelis. 49 versus 38. 49% of Democrats support the Palestinians versus 38. This is a political thing. You wonder why Biden didn't say anything for four days? Why AOC? Why because this is political. They know that their base isn't with them. Despite the carnage, Despite the brutal nature of this, it's political. Why wouldn't they? He didn't, remember, Biden wouldn't meet with Netanyahu. And then you got Politico out there this morning. Oh, these guys are the greatest. The, the Biden administration, they will cover for them. And it is unbelievable. But I want to tell you, and, and I'm going to look for this real quick because I put this out on Twitter. Israel, I mean, Iran funds Hamas. We just unleashed $6 billion. And the administration says, well, wait a second. These guys had nothing to do. Like, they, they have to use it for humanitarian purposes. Ridiculous. Not only is this money fungible, this is what the Secretary of State said this weekend. Iran has, unfortunately, always used and focused its funds on supporting terrorism, on supporting groups like Hamas. And it has done that when there have been sanctions, and it has done that where there have not been sanctions. That's the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. He's saying they've always done this. So why would you unleash $6 billion and think suddenly they're all going to hand out nice food? And I mean, what, what are you, dumb? What did you think they were going to do with the money? Seriously, they've always done it, but let's give them $6 million and hope that it's not fungible. It was unbelievable. This is what they have done. And, and I, I will be honest, I think Netanyahu is right to come out swinging and, and we'll see what happens. But... Um, the world is looking. And there was a story the other day that like all these folks in Taiwan are so concerned and they're looking at how we handle these situations because they know that if we don't stand tough, that that's going to be China's signal to say, great, let's go in and get Taiwan. And think about the munitions. I'm going to ask Anna Panolina Luna this in a minute because she's an Air Force veteran. We've got all of this weaponry and munitions going to, Af I mean, to Ukraine. And now we've said we're going to double down there. What about us? What about our defenses? And by the way, the southern border is still wide open. They were walking around in Gaza chanting death to Israel, death to the United States. Who do you think, where do you think is next? The southern border is wide open. I just can't believe, I mean, this is insane. This is going to happen. I'll ask her about this in just a second. I, I can't believe it. Um, RFK announced that he was running as an independent in some political news. Um, I want to get to this before I get to the speaker vote, because I, I just tell you this. Understand that for everybody out there that likes RFK, number one, he's not a conservative. You like him because he's a thorn in Obama's side and he stands against the establishment. I get it. But he's a Democrat. He supported Hillary Clinton. He is a lifelong Democrat. He is a Kennedy. So don't buy in this. The two people who put out a statement when... Kennedy said he was going to quit the Democrat, 
race and jump in as an independent. We're Trump and the RNC. Why? Because they get it. I've said this before, but let me just give you my example. In Michigan, Trump in 2016 won by 10,703 votes. I have that number seared in my brain. 0.2% of the vote. The Green Party candidate in Michigan got 50,000 votes, Jill Stein. In 2020, when he lost Michigan, the Green Party candidate got 1,000 votes. Don't you think that makes a difference? And here's Kennedy with everybody saying that this guy is going to be, uh, they're not, when you look at the polls, the majority of people who support Kennedy are Republicans, not Democrats. If you're a Democrat and you're dissatisfied with Biden, you're voting for Cornell West. They don't like Bobby Kennedy. But some people who don't like Trump, now they have a place to park their vote. Trust me when I tell you this, this is not good for Republicans or for President Trump. So just understand that he, yes, he says some stuff and I think he's been a, a great foil to President Biden, but he is a Democrat, a liberal at heart. Don't be confused. Lastly, and we're going to get into this with Anna Paulina Luna, the speaker vote. All right. Over the weekend, Kevin Hearn, who is the head of the Republican Study Committee, he dropped out. It is down to Scalise and Jordan. But is it? Is it? McCarthy seemed to indicate that he was open and willing to come back. He had this press conference and they did an interview on Hugh Hewitt. And he said, it's up to the conference. He wouldn't say if he wouldn't allow himself to be a candidate. And already you've seen Carlos Jimenez, congressman from Florida, say, I'm going to nominate McCarthy. So we'll see. But here's the deal. What they have said is we're not going to come out of the room until we have 218. Well, there's even if there's two people running, who knows how this is going to play out? Now, maybe one of them folds at some point after a series of votes and cast their lot with the other person says, I want us all to support that. There's other people in the conference who are saying they want reform changes, like on the motion to, to uh, vacate the chair made before they could do this. So will that stop them from getting 218? Even if there's one candidate, that doesn't guarantee that the eight who foiled this whole thing are going to be satisfied, all eight of them. Remember, you only need, what, four or five? I'm just telling you, this is not going to be um, an easy, an easy thing. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. I want to tell you about our next guest. Anna Paulina Luna is a firebrand. She uh, has been extremely active in the MAGA conservative movement for a while. She's an Air Force veteran. She currently represents Florida's 13th Congressional District. And she's got a brand new book out called The Legend of Narnja. You're going to love this. All right, Anna, thanks for joining us. I'm so excited. I mean, what a, oh, a couple months. You've got a newborn, a new book. I mean, you are, <laughs> I don't know how you do it all. I mean, it's definitely been an interesting transitioning into those two and uh, three-hour sleep cycles, but we're loving every minute of it. <laughs> you know, I, I've I've done four books. It's it's a crazy uh, life when that book launches, just doing the interviews and staying on top of it. And and I can't imagine throwing in the uh, the mix of a newborn in that. I want to talk about the book in, in just a minute, 
But I do want to start with with both what's going on in Israel and then um, and then here in Washington for this speaker's race. Um, obviously, you've got a background. Uh, you served in the military, in the Air Force. Uh, I I was astonished by a few things. And let's just start with the, the intelligence failure. Um, I, I feel like the idea that this wasn't one missile, this wasn't one individual. You had a series of missiles fired in. You had a thousand terrorists, let's call it what it is, flood in and take people hostage. How did we miss this? And what do we need to be asking right now? You know, interestingly enough, I just came across an article from the New York Times that was talking about how a lot of the reason why this attack happened was because there were sleeper cells that were already in Israel awaiting activation. And, you know, when you're looking at really the scope of even like, let's take our southern border, for example, you have, you know, over 600,000 people that have come here illegally that have potentially gotten away. And then how the FBI has kind of turned a blind eye to it. You know, you know this, I know this, but there's intelligence sharing operations. And I think, you know, instead of organizations like the FBI going after voters before an election, they need to be focusing on these extremist terror cells that are likely already here in the United States. And in the case of Israel, we're already there. You know, a lot of people, I don't think ever expected it to happen to this magnitude. But what's even crazier to me, Sean, is that you actually have pro-Palestinian movements here in the United States that are using images of those um, gliders coming in for their promotions for the protests. It's disgusting. I cannot believe. I was funny. I shared this with the audience before you got on. Mm-hmm. 49% of Democrats in this country now side with the Palestinians versus 38 for the Israelis. I, I I don't know when this happened. I feel like I somebody, you know, I went to sleep and woke up and w- the Democratic Party switched, you know, while I was asleep. I, I just didn't realize, how do you side with people who do this? There's a lot of hateful rhetoric. And I think that people here are looking for some form of whether it's camaraderie or whatever it might be. Um, But they don't realize that, you know, even if they were to do some of these protests in some of these countries overseas in the Middle East, they likely would not um, be alive. And so it's very interesting to kind of see the rhetoric here that's especially pushed out of a lot of the um, four-year institutions. You saw Harvard was, you know, doing some gross protesting in defense of Palestine while this is taking place. And, you know, it's just mind boggling. You see a lot of these feminists saying, you know, um, end the occupation of Palestine uh, or of Israel uh, or excuse me, Palestine. And ultimately what I'm finding is that these people are just uninformed. They don't know really yeah. how good they have it here in the United States and really what they're even protesting for. So I want to go back to a comment you just made um, about the southern border. I am, mm-hmm. when I was listening to some of the reports, these folks were chanting death to Israel, death to the United States. If our Southern border is as porous and open as we all can see through the video reporting down there, are you concerned about what's coming in through our Southern border that could potentially harm our citizens? Most certainly, you know, just this year alone, over 143 individuals from the FBI's terrorist watch list have been apprehended by Border Patrol. Um, Again, that's in addition to the 600,000 gotaways just last year alone. And that's really the fault of this administration. You know, people say that it shouldn't be partisan and that we're always trying to make it partisan here in Washington. But the fact is, is that for years, they said that if you wanted, and by they, I mean the establishment Democrat machine, 
in media said that if you wanted border security, that you were xenophobic and racist. And yet just in, I think, the last couple of weeks, the Biden administration has started construction on some portions of the the border wall um, south of us. And the fact is, is that they're just completely quiet. It's okay now. And so there's a lot of propaganda going around, but there is a very likely threat of these terrorist cells being here in the United States. And again, they want to see the destruction of the West. They do not like us. They do not like our values. And as you saw in those videos, you know, they're they're very credible threats. Don't you think though that I firmly believe that the rest of the world is watching how we've reacted to Russia's aggressive uh, incursions into Ukraine. And now they're watching how we react to Hamas. But I don't think either of those situations would have happened if Trump was still president. They did not, they were scared of Trump. They thought he was erratic and unpredictable. They look at this feckless foreign policy of this administration and say, what are you gonna do about it? Most certainly, in fact, that's actually the number one reason why I endorsed Trump early on. I was one of the first, I think, one or two members from the Florida delegation to do that. But, you know, foreign policy is incredibly important. And with Trump, they knew that they couldn't mess around. You know, um, I have a shirt that says FOIA and find out but it's really follows the FAFO term. And I think that that's really what we're seeing in a foreign policy perspective. You know, these countries understand that Joe Biden right now is uh, very much so compromised by places like Russia and China and our adversaries. And, you know, being on House oversight, we're starting to give that information to the American people. But, you know, how could they even remotely be intimidated by the United States when we have someone leading our country who's essentially working for or very much so compromised by other governments? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The administration unlocked $6 billion, okay? And they're saying, well, it was for humanitarian purposes. Right, except they admit that Iran has a record of funding terrorists and that they've always funded terrorists. I don't know why they thought this time would be different. John Kirby, the shadow press secretary of the White House, said this morning that they could lock those funds again. Why? Why? What should we do to make sure that they do lock those funds up and don't allow Iran to access them? I think it should even be a question. I think it should have happened the minute that Hamas really uh, went into and invaded Israel and, and did some of the just egregious things that we're seeing now all over the Internet. But ultimately, I think that that's going to be something that Congress has to discuss, the Senate and ultimately the White House. And as you're seeing right now, I'm sure you're going to be asking me about this next, but we have a speaker's race. Uh, this Wednesday. And so that will be very telling in how we proceed forward. So before I get to the speaker's race, I want to touch on something you brought up. The, the, mm-hmm. You're on the House Oversight Committee. Tell us, wh- where is this, where is the impeachment inquiry right now? What do, what, do, what do you know and what are you hoping to find out? Well, I know that Chairman Comer has subpoenaed bank records tied to Hunter Biden, as well as some of his associates. You know, um, I've been a firm and I think active believer in that we need to bring this vote to the floor and ultimately start impeachment because what we're finding right now is organizations like the FBI, even the IRS have been stonewalling us. And then also to these organizations, third party are now going after Chairman Comer 
for conducting these investigations. And I would even argue that that's, you know, contempt, contempt of Congress, what they're doing. And yet, because we don't have some of these positions, as you know, Sean, that these are top-down appointed positions from the administration, they're running cover for this administration. So really, in my opinion, the only way to really get that information truly out to the American people is to conduct impeachment. Now, do we think that Joe Biden will be impeached? No, not likely, because we don't have control of the Senate. But the fact is, is that these facts have to get out there and the press needs to do their job and cover it. And so as of right now, again, everything's most certainly at a standstill until we can elect a new speaker. But moving forward, I do believe, especially if Jim Jordan is elected, which it's sounding like it might be, uh, that we are going to have an aggressive approach and uh, really be, I think, bringing that foot to the floor. You know, you were active, very active um, on social media and in the movement before you got elected. What has surprised yeah. you since you got to Congress? Um, the biggest surprise to me was a lot of the people that sometimes can be most vocal behind closed doors will do the exact opposite. And, you know, when you see that and you realize the position that we're in, you know, I was in conference yesterday and you hear people saying, you know, I've been up here for, you know, 40 something years. And then you look at the deficit and you really see what's happening with our country. And you just realize that I think part of the problem is people get so comfortable up here and they get so used to the lifestyle that they somewhat forget what they're up here to do and who they're serving. And so I always tell people, you know, your representatives will listen, call them, call their offices, because your voice it should be heard. And I think we're at a point in our country right now where, you know, social media has really exploded. And so it's given the ability of legislators to go directly to people versus going through the media to do it. That's kind of been always my angle and how I connect with people and let them know what's happening in Washington. But it's definitely interesting to see really how the machine works and really the money that pours into these elections. It is insanely expensive, as you know. <laughs> it, I, well, that, I think it, it's it's also eye-opening when you get here mm -hmm. and you realize how it, quote, really works. Yeah. Um, so let's get to the speaker's race. Um, wh where does it stand right now? How do you see this playing out this week? So, you know, um, I actually really applaud how Speaker McCarthy left and really stepped aside because as you saw from the beginning, it's been, um, there's been a lot of tension in the, uh, the, in the conference as a whole. But, you know, I think that it's really coming down to between Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. And from what I'm seeing, it's looking like it's going to be Jim Jordan. You know, a lot of people realize that as he's been conducting some of these investigations, as you know, he let out the impeachment defense for Trump. And then he's been really head of House Judiciary. He's very trustworthy, but he has the ability to, to I think, bridge a gap that um, is in the conference. And so I, again, I actually talked to him a few days ago and I endorsed him. And as you know, early on, he actually came up to support my election. And I think it's important, especially right now, that we have someone in the negotiating room with the White House that can actually represent the interests of the American people from a fiscally conservative perspective. And so that's going to come up. As you know, the CR, we have literally less than 40 days now to uh, write some of these appropriation bills. And so it's going to be an interesting time. But I think right now, in addition to what's happening overseas and in addition to what's happening financially in this country, he definitely has his work cut out for him. So let me work this through. If, let's just say mm -hmm. hypothetically that Steve Scalise, the other person, uh, were to get enough votes, would you be comfortable supporting him? You know, I am for supporting how, so we had an agreement that we're not gonna leave the conference until we can get 218 votes. 
So the fact is, is that we have a candidate forum. I am going to ask uh, Representative Scalise on whether or not he will bring a vote to the floor to um, impeach, uh, a vote to the floor on, on impeachment of Joe Biden, whether he will subpoena Hunter Biden and whether or not he will defund the Jack Smith investigation. If he's a yes on all of those, I'll vote for him. But if he's a no, then I think that among the conference, we have to seriously consider discussions. And then also, too, I want to hear his plan on how he's going to approach the next CR deadline that we're coming up on. So that candidate form actually takes place uh, today at 5 p.m. Okay, so do you think that has Jim Jordan answered in the affirmative to all of those questions? Jim Jordan has absolutely on a number of occasions, not just, I think, acknowledged that, but he's shown that he's going to be doing it. So Jim is basically my hope for this country. So um, one of the knocks, each one of them's got pluses and minuses. Um, one of the knocks against Jordan is that you mentioned how expensive fund uh, races are, that Scalise has raised tons of money. He can help. I mean, my concern, just so the audience gets this, is I've said you guys are the only thing standing between Joe Biden having complete control over the government, the left, right? If without this slim majority, we wouldn't have the the inquiry that you're part of. We wouldn't have the fiscal discipline efforts that are going on right now. And so mm -hmm. I'm worried about maintaining a majority and redistricting in Alabama and other states is making this a much, much closer election in terms of maintaining. Are you worried about Jordan's ability to raise money? No, because I think that once the speaker, um, the next speaker fight or the speaker is determined that people will do the right thing and that they'll give. But also to remember, you know, fundraising is key, but also to messaging is key. When you have elect an electorate that's really disenfranchised with how the country's been run, you know, we had a promise that we would defund those 87,000 IRS agents. That didn't happen. They raised the debt ceiling. You know, all of these things do impact constituents and then also to remember the economy and not having a solution for dealing with the just runaway inflation is a huge problem. So I think that once the follow through is there, then you have an energized electorate that shows up to the polls to vote. And right now, just based on national polling, it's looking like Trump is doing very well compared to Joe Biden. And I think that that down ballot enthusiasm will carry some of these candidates over. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So getting to 218 is what, you know, you, you noted the, everyone wants to say, they want to walk out of the room <laughs> with someone who has a 218. So when it goes to the floor, it's one vote and boom, right? Perhaps. Here's what I don't understand, or here's what I'm, I'm wondering. So right now there's 221 voting members of the House conference. Let's say just, just for argument's sake that Jordan has 220, 121 and Scalise has 100. How does somebody get, even if Scalise were to drop out, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of the 100 people that are supporting him are going to support Jim Jordan, right? Correct. But, you know, I think that that's where those individuals can really talk to their friends and say, hey, this is the right thing to do for the better of the conference. But, you know, <laughs> I was one of the 20 back in January that really stood for the, the negotiations on the House rules. Yep. And let me tell you, Sean, it is a whole different ballgame when you're out there doing it in front of the world. <laughs> 
I think that the pressure cooker turns on at a certain point. And I think that America wants to move forward. And there's a lot of external factors, especially with, with what's happening in the Middle East right now. And so I think that these individuals will do the right thing. So you mentioned the House rules. There are some of these members that are saying that they want to change the motion to the rule on the motion to vacate because it's still right. at one and they want it raised so that we don't have this happen again. Do mm-hmm. you, I mean, you fought very hard to get yes. the, the rules package as it stands. Where do you think that plays out? I just think that complicates things right now. Uh, it does complicate things. And I would say that those members are being silly because they actually voted for that. So uh, they either didn't read what the rules package was, which is very likely, right. um, or they just think that they're smarter than Jefferson, who actually wrote the rule. You know, if this rule has withstood for hundreds of years and Nancy Pelosi was the only one to remove it, and now they have a problem with it because of the fact that it was an accountability tool. Um, I think that those members need to think long and hard as to why they were elected. And I actually wrote a letter on October 2nd to then Speaker McCarthy's office to confirm with him that he was not wanting to change the rules package. And I did get a confirmation from him that they were not trying to change the rules package. So there's a rumor that McCarthy may try to allow himself to be nominated and become this consensus candidate. Do you think that's going to go anywhere today? I I don't think so. Again, um, I think that he really did do the right thing and stepping away that he, in the way that he did. And I think that he, you know, maintained a respectable stance in that, uh, in that situation. And so really from what I'm seeing is it's between Scalise and Jordan now, and I've endorsed Jim Jordan. Um, your colleague down there in Florida, Matt Gates, was the one that instigated all this. He filed the motion to vacate. Where does he stand within the Florida delegation? Um, there's rumors that people want to kick him out and do all and, and remove him from this and that. As far as the members of your delegation go, how do you guys, how, how is he viewed? I think that every single member of the delegation respects and understands that Matt Gates was duly elected by the wonderful people of Florida's first con- uh, congressional district. And I think that it would be absolutely absurd for them to even advocate for that when you have someone like uh, Adam Schiff still in the con- or still in the actual uh, del- uh, congressional caucus as a whole. And so I think right now, yes, people are upset. But, you know, Matt did something that was well within his right. And it was a parliamentary tool. He didn't do something illegal. He didn't do something that was anything more than legislating. And I've actually come out to, I think, say that, hey, retribution works in two ways. So if you're going to try to kick someone out of conference, just realize that it can happen to you too. And and how do you, th- I mean, I know that he's talked about running for governor. Byron Donalds is running for governor. Jimmy Patronis is rumored to run for governor, your CFO down there. How is this, if any, if at all, shaking out in that race? You know, I actually haven't even thought about the governor's race, but what I can tell you is Matt is one hell of a debater. And as you're seeing, he literally on the House floor took on the entire Congress and I would say one, the uh, the national argument as to why we need single subject bills, which is hard to do, especially when you're explaining parliamentary tools to, I think, just uh, the general population, because it's very into the weeds on certain things. And so I think that he's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. So I want to I want to switch gears for a second, because you've got this brand new book out. It's called The Legend of Narnia. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and and it's got this big orange and it's unmistakable what the image is here. So tell me about what, what motivated you to want to write a children's book. As I said, I get yeah. it. You have a child now, but you literally just, you know, have a child and then you publish a children's book. Walk me through the process of that. 
So uh, the legend of Naranja actually started with my husband and I as kind of an inside joke. You know, the left likes to constantly try to attack people. You know, with me, they call me a lunatic. And with Trump, I think that they were trying to just paint him in a light that wasn't appropriate. And so what we decided to do is we're like, look, the left likes to just try to constantly destroy people. And we're going to take this and we're going to turn it into a good thing. And I realized also too, you know, the, the Hispanic demographic is inherently conservative. And as you know, I was with Turning Point previously doing their national Hispanic outreach. I was with Prager University. And so I wanted to do something that kind of crossed over, especially for kids. And so it's about an orange who is from Fruitland and competes in a race every four years to become a leader. And so there's this nasty banana that's up to no good and tries to steal the race and the orange does the right thing. And although he doesn't win, he has the hearts and minds of the people. And so it's an incredible book. Um, as you saw from the art artwork, I actually was a huge uh, factor in that. And so I actually came up with the init initial sketch for him. And so we're very excited. <laughs> you know, it's funny, the, I, your book is published by Brave Books. They do amazing work with amazing people to bring out mm -hmm. subjects. I wrote mine called The Parrots Go Bananas. And I hope, <laughs> I feel bad now because my banana was good. <laughs> I have a bad banana. <laughs> we're in a banana republic though currently, so. <laughs> and so what was your, but but let's get back to the timing of this, right? Your mm -hmm. You're you're in the process of having your your son in in August, and you've got this. I mean, where how did that factor into the process? So it happened actually while I was pregnant. So I actually worked on this um, book previous to getting elected to office, and so the timing was more or less coincidental. Okay, but it was kind of funny because I had the baby at the end of August, and then boom, the book came out. So it was like. Newborn book promotion. <laughs> and and what do you want? So like, do you, do you think if if kids are reading this, that it's it's about Trump, or is the lesson subtle that the parents get it and the kids don't? The lesson is subtle. The parents will definitely get it. The kids will understand that sometimes you know there's this massive emphasis, especially with young people, about constantly moving, moving, moving. Um, you know, you have to be kind of showboaty. And you have to, you know, use social media, especially to just promote something that not necessarily might be true to who you are. And so the book, really, the moral of it is do the right thing, even when people aren't watching. That's actually a huge um, moral to the story in this book. And ultimately, you'll be respected for it. So, you know, you've you've been supported by President Trump. You've been a big mm -hmm. supporter of his. Did you share the book with him? <laughs> I haven't yet. But I'm hoping that when he sees it, he laughs because as you see, the character is actually super cute. And you can see that the hair, there's a lot in common with them. <laughs> and, and, so, but does he, did you, does he know that you did the book and he just hasn't seen it? Or have you sent no, him a copy? He doesn't know that I did the book yet, but I should probably get him a copy. And if you guys want to sign copy, you can head over to orangemanbook.com. <laughs> orangemanbook.com. Yeah, I think we'll get the hint real quick what that's about. <laughs> um, and, and so is this, I know you've written two other books before. Was it was having a child the impetus for wanting to write a children's book? Yeah, you know what? Of all the books I have written, this is actually the one that I had the most fun with. And I, I you know what? I said the same thing. <laughs> I, the thing that's it, I, I'm glad you said that because I was like, I've written three other books. They had a lot of research in them. This one was fun. It was a lot of fun. I had a, a ton of fun going back and forth with the artists, kind of 
adding little Easter eggs here and there. And then also to just coming up with the, you, you have to see the banana. The banana is hilarious. You'll know who the banana is. <laughs> now, see, this is the other thing is that you clearly have a much more artistic streak. Uh, if you watch me on Dancing with the Stars, you know I have no rhythm, but I also have no artistic ability whatsoever. I cannot draw a straight line, a round circle. So I relied heavily on the brave folks who do unbelievable artwork. But you seem to have really taken a personal uh, interest in the in the outcome. Yeah, actually, I came up. I even with the cover, I sent over some initial sketches, and obviously, I, you know, I don't have a graphic design background, so they assisted. But yeah, I sent over the sketches for the initial characters. Um, I like even with the storyline, Andy and I worked to actually write a, a large portion of it, and also too, it's it rhymes, and so it's a really cute kind of angle for the book. But also too, again, going back to kind of the flavor of it, naranja means orange in Spanish. Um, I actually wanted to incorporate that. So you'll see a lot of little Easter eggs of fiesta kind of style decoration. <laughs> you'll see people wearing sombreros in it. It's actually really cool. <laughs> so tell us again, where do you get the book? Orangemanbook.com. You can get your signed copies and it is available for purchase also to at Brave Books. I'll tell you, I, I'm jealous. I told you before the interview started, I was jealous that you got a hardcover and now you got signed copies. I mean, you are taking this to a new level that I am extremely jealous of. Congratulations on the book. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today and um, and good luck with the speaker vote. I know you got, I mean, you truly have your hands full. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, I want to thank you for listening to that. Great conversation with Anna Paulina Luno. I'm excited about her, her new book as well. Um, look, I read a lot of comments over the last three days on YouTube and Rumble um, at Locals. I want you to understand, remember the nature of the show. Some of the guests I'm bringing to you because I want you to understand they're thinking. You're not going to agree with every guest. You're not going to agree with me. But I think the idea is this, instead of just spewing talking points, is make you smarter about how the system works so that we can change it. Because banging our head against a wall isn't the way, isn't going to affect change. And I love having these conversations where we get to pull out, why did you vote that way? Why are you thinking that that way? And I want you to understand it. So if you have questions, shoot them to me. I'll ask them. We'll have guests on that you like. And I've had some great back and forth with people uh, who leave comments, especially at Locals, seanspicer.locals.com. Tell me what you think. And we'll ask the questions. We'll bring on the guests. But I want you to be more informed and better understand the system. And that's why I love these conversations with people like Ana Paulina Luna and others. Um, later this week, we're going to keep an eye on the speaker's vote. Obviously, that will be big. And then uh, on Friday, we're going to sit down with Bill O'Reilly. So a lot happening here on The Sean Spicer Show. Thank you for all of your support. Please remember to go subscribe both on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, and go to YouTube and Rumble and just hit subscribe. Even if you watch it on the first or even if you get it one of the places, this is what helps us. So thank you for your support. Please continue to do that. And we will see you right back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 